Welcome to the Memorabilia Podcast, a music discussion podcast where each episode we select an album for our own record or CD collection, provide a deep dive on the record and the stories surrounding it, and we take a look at what was happening culturally culturally around the UK at the time of release. This is episode number 29, and our selected record is the fabulously entitled Torment and Torreros from Mark and the Mambers, which was released in 1983. I'm Rick, and I'm here with my wife, Kate. Hello. And we have a little bit of news before we start talking about the record. Okay. Yes. I'm putting it on record so that I have to stick to it. Right. <laughs> our normal hour and a half to two hours episodes are going to become an hour long. Or maybe just a little bit over that. <laughs> and we're going to uh, release an episode. We're going to aim to release an episode every two weeks from here on in. I can see much joy from uh, Kate at this point. Brave words. Brave words. So let's see how we get on. Our last episode then, Kate, was um, Nevermind by Nirvana. Just to cap off that, we ran a, a poll on Facebook. Well, it wasn't a poll, it was more of a question, which is your favourite Nirvana album? And we asked the question in our episode, was side A of Nevermind one of the greatest side A's of music history? Well, apparently the answer is, according to Nirvana fans, no. Because everyone prefers side two. Uh, I was a bit shocked at the results of the... Um, the, the Votes for the the favorite track. The favorite track. Was, you're not a true fan, right? Truly, truly <laughs> not. Uh, the favorite one was Lounge Act, which is uh, track nine, uh, closely followed by Drain You. And um, just to give you some idea of the votes, 137 for Lounge Act, 118 for Drain You. The next closest one was On a Plane, also on side two, 50 votes. Um, the single releases. Lithium was the highest scoring single release with 30 volts, miles off. Even Endless Nameless, the uh, secret track, got a higher number of votes than Smells Like Teen Spirit and Come As You Are. Don't you think that's because they're overplayed, though? Yeah, I think that probably has got something to do with it. And also, there's no cachet in saying that they're your (laughs) favourite. Yeah, I I, I think you're absolutely right, but I was still very surprised. Anyway, um, that was fun. And now we move on. Um, We are in 1983, the summer of 1983, exactly 40 years ago. The album was released on the 15th of August, um, 1983. It was the second LP by Mark and the Mambas. Principal um, singer, songwriter is, of course, fantastic Mark Armand. And... um, the last time we were in 1983 was our ninth episode we covered Fantastic by Wham, which I think we also recorded in the summer probably around this time, didn't we? Because mm. we did that with yeah. Pop Dave and 80s Anne. Um, but yeah, just the two of us today. I'm just going to start by giving a, a little quote um, that Mark Armand gave in 81, so a couple of years before they recorded uh, and released Torment and Torreros. Um, in September 81, he told Beverly Glick of Music Magazine Sounds that I'm doing a sort of offbeat, low-life, 
disco thing with various friends, which I think morphed into the first Mark of the Mambas album, Untitled, which you've got on vinyl, if I'm right. Mm-hmm. Which did you get first? Did you get Untitled or Torment and Toreros? Can you remember? Um, I remember I had Torment and Toreros on tape mm. when we went round year of intubating in 91 so i'm like but i probably had untitled on tape as well <laughs> so yeah. you've you've repurchased subsequently uh well they were a bit tough someone else's stuff yeah so yeah um and then obviously i just grabbed them when yeah in fact i thought you bought me that one, i was gonna say yeah i bought you that one i remember you saying that it was one of your uh Favourite albums that you haven't got a copy. I, think... I didn't have it on vinyl. I don't, I don't think no. I haven't got it on vinyl. I got that. I remember getting that from um, Record Collector in Sheffield in Broomhill. I think that was where I got it from. So um, it reached uh, number 28 in the charts, uh, Torment and Toreros, which beat Untitled. Untitled only got to number 42. Um it was recorded in Trident Studios in Soho in London. Very famous studios. Uh, a lot of big names have recorded some amazing songs and albums in there. The Beatles, Queen, David Bowie, Elton John, Rolling Stones, Frank Sinatra. So he was in good company there. Um, and they were signed to some bizarre records, which the officers for were above Trident Studios. Uh, now... Some Bazaar, which is where also Soft Cell was signed to, uh, was run by Steve O'Pierce, who was also a manager of Soft Cell and Mark Armand. And their first ever record release was called Some Bazaar Album. It was um, They released it as a, an album to showcase their unsigned acts, which at the time included the likes of Depeche Mode, uh, Soft Cell, The The and Blamange. So had a pretty good stable of artists there. Um, Tom and Sororos, if you don't know the album, is a, is a double album. So there's 10 tracks on disc one, and eight tracks on disc it's two. 10 trucks. 10 trucks. <laughs> there's no trucks <laughs> anywhere on the M- album. Musical trucks. <laughs> Boom, they hit you. You know about it. Um, yeah, and in terms of the, the band itself, there is a band to this one, I think. Uh, I haven't heard Untitled, so I, I don't know if the sound's very different, but it sounds like there's not as many uh, musicians on that particular record. I think there's principally uh, Mark, Annie Hogan and Matt Johnson from the, the... And on this record, they're joined by uh, a guy called Steve Sherlock, who played principally the sax, but also flute, um, and the Venomets, which were the four-piece string section, so two violinists, cello, and uh, double bass, mainly. Um, so, yeah, uh, Annie Hogan uh, was the pianist. Matt Johnson played guitar. And Annie met uh, Mark Harmon and Dave Ball at a local music venue studying in Leeds, which is where we are, uh, in 1979. And she later met Matt Johnson in London after a year out DJing, a year out from studying. Uh, and she was also doing promotion of bands around Leeds, like um, Soft Cell and the Human League. 
And her first ever concert was performing with an early lineup of Mark and the Mambas, uh, just with Mark Arnold and Matt Johnson. Uh, I know this came up on the podcast that we recorded with um, Dan and Catherine Donnelly, uh, which you never know, we might see the light of day one day. <laughs> um, but yeah, Dan asked, he played a, a gig so recently with, with, with Mark Arnold. <laughs> And he asked if Mark did any songwriting. And this, I didn't realise this was the first album where he'd done the music as well as, or some of the music as well as the words. Um, so he's credited with songwriting on um, 13 of the 18 tracks, four he's got solo credits for, and the rest of it is kind of a collaboration with the, the musicians and... Um, covers. Yeah, and a few covers, yeah. yeah. So, and... Uh, some of those other songwriting credits go to uh, Robert Smith and of The Cure. He's on one of the songs. Uh, and also a guy called Steve Severin, who was a uh, bass player in Susie and the Batteries. That's the same song. Um, I can't remember which one it is. Torment, I think it is, actually, which is on side two. So yeah, uh, I, think tech, I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was. I've just found it. Uh, Mark himself described the album as a nervous breakdown committed to vinyl, and it sounds like the recording process was um, mainly done in the evenings. They used to kind of get together at night. And there's a, a, a quote I read from the saxophonist Steve Sherlock. He, he said he felt like a bit of an outsider because. All the others kind of, this was what they did. He was uh, married. He got a full-time job, so he used to finish his job. Wow. Pitch up it. He said sometimes <clears throat> he was told to get there for 8 o'clock at night, and he'd be there with Flood, who was the producer. Um, and the others sometimes wouldn't turn up till midnight, and then he'd have to <laughs> record half the night and then go off to work again the next day. So, um that's commitment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it took him about two weeks to record, which is pretty quick for a for a record, especially a, a double album. Um, and as I said, mainly they did it at night. Um, and the template really was that Mark put down drum parts. He didn't really want a proper drummer, and he said, uh, and he, he wanted to give everyone freedom to create their own parts around the songs. And he said that most of the songs were written on the spot with him scrolling lyrics as he went along. Uh, and he would sing the string parts as he heard them in his head. So uh, I quite like that about a lot of charting artists that they can't necessarily read music. They're not classically trained to, um, you know, read, write and read music in that way. But they've obviously got a, an ear for it. Um, so, yeah, I think... From what I've read, the recording process was, was pretty exhausting and um, they all kind of came, came out of the back end of it absolutely shattered and uh, a bit broken, um, which in some parts could explain why, uh, when it didn't really go down too well in terms of with the critics, uh, Mark went a bit bonkers, which we'll, uh, we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, the producer I mentioned already is a guy called Flood, um, and he was principally an engineer um, by trade, so he was quite green on the production side of things. 
and um, he he got he came in for quite a lot of stick in the production of this record. I, I think it's actually quite good a production on on the record. So I think that was a bit unjust. But I, I, I read one or two things where he was saying that it was a particular journalist that was kind of out to get him, and it all turned a bit nasty. Anything he did, this journalist kind of went after him, kind of thing. So. And I, there was a bit of that going on at that time around, you know, the, the music press, NME, Melody Maker. There was a few people in there, the journalists, the egos, and yeah. did kind of just take a dislike to certain people and use that power. And, and it's not like now, is it, when you've got a, a right of reply as an artist in, in the same way with, with the internet. So. Well, there wasn't really any alternative places for information, was there? So. No. It was a bit... Only, only your interviews, and where did you get the interviews? Well, in the same exactly, we're doing so the it was years, a bit yeah. kind of... Yeah, because even the you know TV magazine programmes, like The Tube and all the rest of it, you didn't really get a lot of in-depth interviews. It was all kind of super fluff, fluffy stuff. And yeah. Um, Flood said that Mark wanted each side to have a flavour, uh, so he was trying to keep that in mind when he was doing his production. And I think the other key thing with this album is that obviously it's very different to what Soft Cell were producing at the time. And obviously that was done on purpose from Mark. He was trying to kind of break out of this uh, pop star persona that the likes of Smash Hits and Top of the Pops were obviously pushing. I'm sure he wasn't complaining about that because that was the, the thing that get the kept the money coming in. But I suppose from an artistic point of view, whether it was quite as satisfying, not sure. So yeah, before we go on to the uh, the reviews and the reception for the record, uh, I like the artwork on the on the on the album. It's kind of a, a black background with red writing on there. Not the easiest to read, but there's some paintings on there by uh, an artist called Val Denham. Uh, and she did the paintings requested by Mark. And he'd, he'd kind of got a, an idea of, of what he wanted. He wanted this kind of Spanish feel. Um, and, you know, some of that's reflected in the music, isn't it, really? Um, but he said to her, can you give me uh, an image of a mad female flamenco dancer for the front and a, a female flamenco dancer for the back? So to find these images that she was going to kind of get an idea from she had to troll through Thomas Cook holiday brochures, <laughs> which I think is quite funny. And again, I think you forget about these things just because everything is so accessible these days and getting ever more accessible. Yeah, you would never, you'd never, I was thinking the other day, I used to decorate all my folders with like cutouts and magazines. I'm, I don't, I didn't buy them myself. I used to just get them off other people and then finish with them and stuff. Yeah. But I was thinking, I couldn't even tell you the last time I even picked up a magazine. <laughs> like, no, true. So, true. yeah. No more collage for me. Yeah, so it, it looks good. The packaging's good. Um, so, certainly wouldn't have failed from that point of view. Um, it's, uh, yeah, critically, it wasn't well received. There was one or two reviews that were kind of um, praising in the fact that it was so diverse and he'd done something different and took a bit of a risk. But on the whole, um, yeah, the critics weren't kind. And there was one particular 
review that kind of sent Mark over the edge, uh, literally. <laughs> I'm going to read it out. So this was from um, a journalist called Jim Reed, who was writing in the Record Mirror uh, the month of release, August 1983, and he said, I don't know whether Mark regards his work with the Mambas as a bit of light relief. I can't even read me all right now. Light relief away from the serious business of making money, but it sounds like that. Torment and Toredos is hard going. Four sides of ill-disciplined doodling. It deals with familiar almond obsessions, i.e. the generally scarborough side of life. I'm afraid I find Mark's murky travel logs neither outrageous nor daring, but simply tedious. So well, he's a charmer, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, a charmer's one way of putting it. After he'd read the review, Mark decided he went into the offices at uh, some bazaar and told them that he was going to go around to Record Mirror and take his bullwhip. And uh, I've got a, a recollection of, of what happened um, actually published by said Record Mirror. So this is their account. So how accurate it is, I don't know. But I've seen one or two other comments about it. So they wrote a bull, a bullwhip brandishing Mark Armand certainly lived up to his sadomasochistic image when he came storming into record mirror offices last week and thrashed boy hack Jim Reed for his scathing review of the new Mark the Mambas album, Torment and Toreros. You're not fit to review my album, Armand screamed, while lashing at the mild-mannered reporter with his favourite specially important Zambian rhino whip. The You've mild, got a grudging... Mild-mannered reporter. <laughs> That's what it says. It sounds like some like Spider-Man, doesn't it? <laughs> You've got a grudge against me. I'll give you something to have a grudge about. I've lost friends and money making this album. I've made myself ill. You write anything else about me and you're a dead man. And by the end of the week, things have got so bad that Mark announced the members are definitely split and the future of Soft Cell was hanging in the balance. And that was written by Simon Tebbett, uh, which must have been the week after the, uh, the review. So quick acting. <laughs> I'll give you some of that. That review, yeah. Um, but I don't know whether he actually hit him with it or not. I mean, it, from that account, you would think that he did, but I don't think you'd get away with that kind of thing these days. But the week after, in the NME, they'd um, put a statement out saying that a confused and unhappy Mark Allen suddenly quit the music business this week. In an emotional open letter to the press, Mark announced both the end of the Mambas and Soft Cell, Claiming he was filled with self-doubt and that I no longer wished to sing on records. In fact, I no longer wished to sing. His shock announcements followed two bizarre incidents. Incidents in one, he threatened a record mill journalist with a whip. So they're saying he only threatened him. <laughs> and the other, he was assaulted outside his home by a passerby. So that was in the NME, uh, which must have been at the end of August. And uh, there's a quote from Dave Ball, uh, who... If you don't know, it is uh, Mark's partner in Soft Cell. And uh, he said he read about <laughs> Soft Cell splitting up in the music press just like everyone else. Uh, and he said that someone showed him the copy of NME and it said Soft Cell split. And he thought, have we? <laughs> <laughs> so he kind of said that's typical of Mark, that he kind of never mentioned anything. He was always having his theatrical moments. He got carried away, like making his dramatic statements and... He said he just loves the drama, so... To be fair, yeah. That's what I love about him. <laughs> Passionate, yeah, you can't beat a bit of passion, can you? So I think he, uh, Mark himself said that he, he regretted it after a couple of days of calming down. He was uh, 
quickly backpedalling on these statements. <laughs> and he said he'd, uh, his letter had been a public cry for help, a, a metaphysical suicide attempt. He said he'd wanted to hurt and punish everyone, my friends, my fans, and especially the critics, but instead, as usual, I'd hurt only myself. So, so yeah, um, bit of a uh, dramatic end to the, the release of the album, really. Not the uh, outcome we'd have wanted, but uh, yeah, I think these days most people are looking back on it from what I've been reading with a lot of fondness. And we put a post on um, Facebook just asking for, for memories of the record, anyone that got it. And um, we posted it in a, a group. If you're a Mark Harmon fan and listening to this and you're not on the, the Mark Harmon, there's a private group of Mark Harmon Facebook um, group. We'll put a link to it in the, uh, the show notes. Uh, yeah, some really interesting comments on there, and obviously there's a there's a lot of love for this record. I think it meant a lot of people to sorry a lot of <laughs> it meant a lot to people around the time it was it was released. Um, I mean, from my point of view, I found it difficult. I mean, difficult I was eleven record. when it was released, so when it was released, it meant nothing to me. I didn't have a record player. I didn't. I didn't think I had a tape player. I had nothing. I was 11. <laughs> so. Yeah, so was I. I. I meant, like, the ones that... Obviously, there's people that heard it when it first was released. But there was also comments, a bit like you, that mm. picked it up because they were Mark Armand fans or Soft Cell fans, wanted to buy his other stuff and then found the magic within it, you know, within their own kind of uh, time and, and life and could relate back to it. And I think that's a... A similarity from reading these comments to the ones that we had from the Nirvana fans about Nevermind, you know, it, it kind of brought people together in that they've got their own little group. They felt like outsiders, you know. They, they suddenly found this music that they could relate to, and you know, it it's did, a big that, thing. That transcended yeah. like its release date as well, yeah, in the same clearly. way as I think this probably does. Like, it's still. When you listen to it now, it's fresh and interesting. It doesn't sound old or derivative. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, but it's you, you've got to give it time um, if you're yeah, looking yeah. for. It's not easy access. <laughs> no, and and I think the problem is these days that everyone wants things now, don't they? So you well, know. Speak for yourself. It's only, it's only podcasts I want to be sure to. <laughs> I'm not necessarily speaking for myself. I'm, I'm speaking for... You're castigating the younger generation again. Are you disagreeing with me? I don't think it's... I don't think everyone is like that, but I think we've been trained by media delivery to expect things to happen immediately. And I think it's you have to make a conscious effort to transcend that if you want to get into something that's a little bit more difficult maybe to understand or penetrate or whatever so i think i don't think everyone is like that but i think that the easy option is for everything to be easy and simple yeah true <laughs> were you expecting it to go that deep and complex no not <laughs> Not really. I, I think it, I just think it's a bit of a shame in, in some ways, uh, not necessarily related, related to this album, but I mean, we've talked about it before, but you know, the, the album as a concept is... is... It's a bit old people, so you know, you look back on the olden days when we had to like wind up the gramophone before we could listen to it. 
You been lying about your age all these years. I thought you were the same age as me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, in terms of the the, the record itself, uh, I mean, how would you how would you describe it? How would you describe the music on there? I mean, I came up with some some words, but I'm interested to see what. I mean, you love it, this record, yeah? Mm. I. I mean, I like it for the same reason as I like other Mark Holman albums, and the reason that I like the fact that he went and attacked someone with a bullwhip, because because it's dark and passionate, and it's interesting, and it surprises you all the time. And from um, and I really like the way, just overall, in his music that he mixes covers with new music with um collaborations because what i tend to find is that there's stuff that i wouldn't have found if he hadn't covered it or if he hadn't referenced it so there's like films that i've watched or books that i've read because he's mentioned them or done you know what i mean yeah. so it's all so every album that he does it's like that kind of there's like little doors in it of other stuff to go and explore yeah yeah, no, I, I totally get that. And it's uh, I think it's one of the, the great things about music. When you find someone that you can connect with and, and you get, and then, yeah, it l- l- leads to lots of different threads. And Don't ask me what any of them are because I won't be able to remember. No, no. Just a warning. <laughs> I wasn't going to. I, I've lived with you for 20 years again. But, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, you can tell that his, his fans are very, very passionate. You know, it's a bit like... Um, you know, the Nirvana fans were the same. Uh, Nick Cave fans, I'd say, were very, very similar in terms of their, you know, their intensity of the, the following that they have for him. Um, so it's, it's, it's great. I mean, my, my words that I put down, um, I've, got, I've got dark, sleazy, angst-ridden, primal, emotional, complex, bold, sincere and eclectic. So from that point of view, I mean, it, it sounds amazing, but for me, I found it hard to kind of listen to. And I think part of that is because it's, it is two discs. I've, I've listened to this kind of for four weeks now and it's only just, I'm only just, yeah, no, I, and I must've listened to it probably at least, at least a dozen side uh, times each side. And I'm only now kind of, if a song comes on, knowing what the song is, and some of it I still can't, you know, because I think a lot of the music kind of segues from one to the other, and it's it's kind of um, a bit challenging from that point of view. It, it feels like a a whole piece rather than you know lots of songs that kind of relate together. If that makes sense. I'm going to um, pull up some of these comments on. On Facebook, I'm not going to go through them all, and I, I, if I don't read yours out, I'm sorry. Just as a, it's on a ban basically yeah. for for blanket at reading out of stuff. Uh, let me just find. I should have got this up earlier. Yeah. So the first comment I'm going to pick out is from Salome Mayer Lourens, uh, and the reason I'm picking this one out, thank you, Salome, is that um, they said that first time was their fave. So someone in agreement with me, they're always going to get a comment. Uh, Fernando Lorento. Thank you, Fernando. Um, he basically mentioned the artwork. 
he liked Black Art as the, the best Mark Arman song of all time. Um, he loves the image of, of Mark as Carmen Amaya, the greatest flamenco dancer. Uh, and he basically thinks the whole thing is fantastic and great. Um, Rally Bronkowski. God, some complicated names on here. Thank you, Rally. Um, <laughs> he's based... I mean, to be fair, normally you probably wouldn't struggle that much, but today I don't know what's going on. I know, I don't know. So, anyway, he's based in the US and he, he bought a used lot of uh, Mark's albums, including uh, Mother Fist. Untitled and, and the singles collection, and he said it filled some gaps for him. He said because the the records weren't as easy to come by in in the states as they were over here. Um, so uh, sounds like that was a, a good purchase. Uh, Leslie Leverson, I really like this one. She worked in a, a music library and used to put it on for the public to hear. <laughs> she said she played it relentlessly, and uh, her colleagues got a bit fed up with it, but she didn't care. Um, and I'm going to read a quote let me just find this quote from Jerry which was a, a really nice quote Jerry Potter, thank you Jerry um, I'm not going to read everything but I'm going to read a little bit out he said, Torment and Toreros is more than music it's an image conjuring poetically driven tour de force with our black hearts liminally conjured, my camp sister and I worked, danced and sung all the dark magic as inherent in every heart stopping beat and off the beat of this soulfully dark soul searching masterpiece beyond merely a door so jerry's clearly uh, clearly a fan and uh, possibly the best commenter last uh, andy young simply said lost my virginity to this album <laughs> <laughs> great taste well yeah. yes indeed well done andy and thanks for sharing that any that you want to read out no, okay. I can't find James's comment though, and he is responsible for getting me into it because I, I had a bit of a give him a proper a name shout. James is a popular name. I had a bit of a theme song moment with Tainted Love, where when I was about seventeen, it just kept playing at like pivotal points. Um, there was a lot of those when you're seventeen, aren't there? So <laughs> it's all very meaningful. And then, um, but I mean, you know because of the way stuff was at the time. I didn't really, hadn't really um, seen or heard any other Mark Holman, Strips Off Cell stuff. Um, and then when I went to university, James was in the next flat. Um, James Muir, there you go, Rick, happy now. He knows who he is. <laughs> and, um, uh, and he had loads and, and was quite happy for me to uh, work my way through his record collection. <laughs> Um, and so, so yeah, um, and now obviously we both live in Leeds, so have at various times been to see uh, Mark when he's played in Leeds and stuff, still at our advanced ages now. Uh, <laughs> but he made a comment somewhere or sent me a message or something, I can't bloody find it. I'll find so. it. What he said was Mark Burgess as a chameleon said something about listening to Torment and Toreros in bed with his then girlfriend. He, he racked his brains to find out where I read it. I suspect it was Karen Abelay's book. Do you know Karen Abelay's? No. Okay. I have a vague feeling he also said it was an inspiration for a lyric. 
He's also sent me a link to a podcast that Annie Hogan's just done, which I was aware of because I do follow her on Facebook anyway. Okay. Um, I haven't listened to it, obviously, because I'm shit at listening to podcasts. (laughs) But we'll put the link to that in the notes as well. I would imagine that would be really interesting. Yeah. Thank you, James. Appreciate that. Which is your your favourite track then? Have you got a favourite or...? Uh, it wasn't always, but it's beat out that rhythm on a drum. Okay. Which uh, is for uh... about the last seven or eight years, that's been my favourite. <laughs> right. So that's the closing song on side two, isn't it? That's the that's the album. Yeah. Completer. Yeah, I know that because I made a little note of that. Yeah, that's a good song uh, from the musical Carmen. Which I, I didn't know. To be okay. fair. So. Until I read the notes just now, the, the sleep notes. Okay. <laughs> but I've liked it for ages. It's been my favourite for ages. And it wasn't initially. I think originally my favourite was um, In My Room, is it called? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is on, on disc one. Yeah. And then I also really, really like the the medley. Yeah. On side two. Yeah, fourth strike. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, the um, beat out that rhythm and a drum. Amazing musicianship on that. The, the violins are incredible. And the interesting thing about that, the Venomettes, which is the, the string section that we mentioned, um, Steve Sherlock, the um, saxophonist guy, he mentioned the fact that they'd listened to the, the Rogers and Hammerstein record and the original Beezer record twice. He said they didn't know the song at all. And they said they wrote out their parts by ear. He said it was just amazing to watch. You know, and they've absolutely nailed it. So, you know, a lot of skilled It just lives in my head. Yeah. I listen to that song, honestly. It's like it lives in my head for about three days. I can't, I don't want to shake it. You know, normally you get an earworm and you're desperate to get rid of it. Yeah. But there's so much complexity to it that it just, yeah. 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 So that's your, your favourite on side two and you like the, uh, the medley as well. What about side one? Any standouts on there? I think call it disc one on, on the CD pack. Do they? Yeah. Uh, in my room is probably oh, yeah. my favourite. I, I like the Bulls as well. The Bulls, the Jacques Brel mm. record. I think he did a did he do a record a whole record with Jack Brel covers? I think called just called Jacks. Is that Jack? Uh, is that the same guy? You can look that up. I it, I there's the French album. Yeah, it might be that one. But yeah, I mean, my my notes on on disc one. I'm gonna I'll take it one disc at a time. We're really um, that the start of it was a bit weird. I think it's one of the quiet, um, quietest, and most unassuming start to a record I've ever heard in my life. I mean, I like I put it on, and after about ten seconds, I thought, I'm sure I put that on. So I turn volume up, and you hear this like really faint guitar slowly getting louder. And, I mean that's just that's just weird. I like albums that kind of start. Yeah, there is eighty nine an album called Jacques. Yeah. Oh, there, there you go. Um, I don't have that then. So. No. No. I thought you had most of the stuff. I do, but I don't have that. There's a present idea, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Rick makes a note for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not. I wasn't. I quite like the music on Boss Cat, but I wasn't keen. Uh, when he started singing. Not that I don't like his voice, but I just don't know. I just The melody just didn't seem to lift the song. Uh, I found it a bit repetitive. I got tied up to that on the Orange Island. 
I was I was like singing along to one of my I like one headphone in on my walkman, <laughs> and then this guy started asking me questions about cats, and I was a bit. But anyway, we are with this, but all right. About cats. Well, boss cats. Yeah. So I was like singing along. Okay. <laughs> well, I suppose you've got to pick your cues from somewhere. Yeah, he, it wasn't a successful chat up. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, track four, I quite like, Catch a Fallen Star. Um, he really snarls the lyrics on this one, doesn't he? Remember, shit on me, shit on her, shit on you. Uh, simple piano riff. But I like the Baroque instrumental interlude that lifts and makes it kind of sound like the, the backdrop to the most dramatic movie scene of all time. I quite like that. Uh, and my favourite song on disc one is track seven, First Time. Uh, I think the piano's got a lovely lilt to that. Uh, and I like the feeling that it, 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 it kind of Mark brings to the vocals. So I thought that was good. Uh, and I made a note of um, Your Love is a Lesion because it's got some pretty impressive bass playing in it. So again, the musicianship kind of comes out on that one. Um, in, in terms of disc two, I think the standout track by far is, is Black Heart, which was written by uh, Annie Hogan, the music, and um, she wrote that on a piano in Mark's basement in his house in Leeds. So um, yeah, I just think that's a really good song. I, did they release? I think they might have released it as a single. I don't know if it did anything. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, that is a, that is a standout track. Even though it does take again a few listens to get to the medley you mentioned, which is track four, which is yeah. uh, Narcissus, <clears throat> Gloomy Sunday, which you told me about the the famous Hungarian suicide song from originates from 1933, uh, and Vision. Um, which someone on the Facebook comments commented was one of their favourite songs on the record. Well, was their favourite song on the record. I found that kind of little three-track segue a bit slow and sombre, but I suppose that's the whole point in it with the, the titles of the songs. Yeah. You, you made a comment about the, you know, that, that song, that uh, Hungarian suicide song, yeah. the, the Urgent Lem... Le, le, I can't speak today. <laughs> the urban legend surrounding it that a lot of people committed suicide listening to the song. And um, yeah, there's. I looked it up. There's no substantiated. I did say it was an urban legend. Yeah, no, I know. It's true. No, I know. But I thought you'd also said it wasn't very often recorded. No, but actually, when I went into, I went and had a look. Yeah. And there's actually, but a lot of them are not English language recordings. Yeah. So, yeah. And a lot of them were like banned from being played and stuff like that. Right. So I've listened to, I can't remember what jazz singer it was, who recorded it. And they, they wrote an, ex, not they, but an extra verse was written okay. to, to make it not a suicide song. And I remember <laughs> listening to it and just thinking, Really? It's like at the end it goes, it was all a dream. No. <laughs> You're missing the point, mate. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I just looked at the list of covers after you mm. said you didn't think it had been recorded no. very often. It was like pretty much one every year and still going. Yeah. So. I, I must admit, after I said that, I went and had a look. And then I was like, oh, well, I was totally wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's rare. So lap up the moment. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, track five, the one after it, I, I quite like Torment, which was the one that we mentioned was covered by Severin and uh, Robert Smith, which uh, is a goth love song about masochism. There you go. Uh, Apparently, and- my uh, track, I really liked that comment. It's <laughs> <laughs> died buzzing. I was like, oh. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, the only other one I want to mention is my least favourite track on the, on the album, which is track six. A million maniacs. Manias. Manias. <laughs> I'm not a fan of that song. <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to be a fan of it, though, are you? I don't know. What's it? What's it about? Well, it, I, I always read it as that's what it's like in your brain. Okay. It's not like that in your brain. That's probably why you don't <laughs> like it. That's what it's like in my brain. Yeah, not it's just it, like. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> it did sound a bit like. Um, <laughs> I'm picturing like a, a cartoon scene where there's like a lot of madcap stuff happening. No, but yeah, I didn't really dig that. Is there any songs on here you, you, you're not a fan of? Um, no, I don't skip through any. Yeah. So, Always a know. good sign. Always <laughs> a good sign. So yeah, I think to sum up uh, an exceptional record for various different reasons. You're summing up. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, We're on target. <laughs> I mean, it's four years old, as you said. It doesn't sound like it's four years old. No, not at all. Um, there is a a reissue coming uh, this autumn and um, being released by Universal Records. Your the one that I bought for you, the CD, was a nineteen ninety seven reissue. Mm. It's worth about twenty five quid. Mm-hmm. And the top price for original vinyls and the first CD, which was issued in '92, is about 55 quid. So, all we've got left to do on this then is uh, give it a rating. So, um, it's your turn to beat me up. Sorry, Mark Arman fans. <laughs> <laughs> I do like his voice and. The guy can clearly like write songs as well, as he's proven many, many times. And for a first effort on this this one, um, what's the track that I like on side one? Uh, first time, great track. But for me, the album is too long, and the tracks are just too, I don't know, seggy. So, Seggy, yeah, what does that mean? They just segue into each other and they're not distinctive enough. I like records where they're just kind of... Neatly boxed up. Yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's not neat enough for me. I'm, I'm, I'm totally the wrong wheelhouse and a bit like you when you were... I mean, Hugh and Cry was a particular blur. highlight for you. Well, and Hugh and Cry, yeah. So uh, I'm going to give it a six and a half. And the extra half more comes from his passion and the passion of his fans. Because I was going to give it a six, but especially after he went after that guy with the bullwhip, he gets half a mark extra for that. <laughs> what are you giving it, Kate? A ten. Enough said. Yeah, well, <laughs> li- I mean, obviously, I listened to it intermittently anyway, but I've tried to listen to it quite a fine time to listen to it a couple of times for this and I'm just like yeah it's just as good as it ever was <laughs> like... yeah fair enough if you love a record you love a record don't you 
so yeah it was interesting and interesting finding out about how it all came together and um, maybe on the next one we'll try something a little bit more poppy and accessible uh whichever album's got tears run, <clears throat> run rings on it do you know which one that one is uh, not off the top of my head there uh I did look it up earlier. I can't remember which one it is. But anyway, we'll probably try and do that one as the next Mark one because that's my favourite Mark Allen song. Okay. There we go. Right, let's get on to uh, August 1983 in the UK. As Kate's already mentioned, we were both 11 years old when this record was released in August 1983. Um, so we're going to have a look at the, the singles, albums, movies, uh, and then what was going on in the, the news and TV. Um, so top 20 singles, I'm going to pick a few out. Uh, Madness, Wings of a Dove was new in at 19. We had got The Cruel Summer from Banana Armor at 16. Um, the Lotus Eaters with the first picture of you. I can't remember any other songs by The Lotus Eaters. So... Do you remember that? Song? But I remember that song, yeah. The first picture of you. Really good song, really good song. Uh, I only remember it when I was I had a quick look at this. I'll play it later, good song. Who's That Girl by Eurythmics was 13. We had got into the top 10 now, and Kate and I had a very pleasurable uh, half an hour the other night watching these videos on, on YouTube for the top 10. We got uh, I Owe You by Freeze at 10. Um and our son, our 19 year old son, was sat watching it with us. <laughs> and then started singing it. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, a bit catchy that one, but uh, yeah, not really my thing. Um, Paul Young, the fantastic singer that's Paul Young, was at number nine with Wherever I Lay My Heart, That's My Home. We'd got Rocket by Herbie Hancock at number eight, which the video on that was very bizarre. That was the one with all the robots on, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, wearing stockings and. <laughs> I, was, I was like. Like what I imagine a psychopath's mind to be like, <laughs> like body parts like twitching everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it pretty much was that. That was a bit bizarre. That, um, yeah, we're going to give a shout out to uh, one of Kate's best friends. Yes, uh, hello, Naomi. I never listen to podcasts apart from this one, that one, that one, that one. Pretty much every podcast apart from ours. Yeah. yeah, Double Dutch was at number seven by Malcolm McLaren. And I remembered that she'd mentioned this before for some reason. I don't know where it had come up in conversation. I mean, she's my best mate, but you clearly listened to her a lot more than I do. <laughs> I, just, I was like, how she does she? Is it? Um, Naomi sent us a WhatsApp message saying it was my first ever music! Exclamation mark. I had a single on tape, got it free with a pair of Clark's shoes. What a way to get into music by buying shoes. So there you go, Double Dutch by Malcolm McLaren. And um, the video for that is basically just a load of American schoolgirls doing the rope skipping, which is a Double Dutch. Doing Double Dutch. And what was your comment about that? Because we was think... that It was weird because it just wasn't ever a thing in the UK, Double Dutch. I mean, yeah, a tiny bit, but it, it it's much bigger in America. It's a big deal over there, and yeah. it just is, wasn't over there. Yeah, impressive stuff, uh, video-wise, not so much music-wise. Sorry, Malcolm. Uh, Everything Counts by Depeche Mode was uh, in at six. Fantastic song, absolutely fantastic song. I'm Still Standing, Elton John, number five. Not a huge Elton fan, but that is a very good song. 
and the video is very much of its time. Very 80s. Especially <clears throat> the bit where Elton John pats some female dancer's bikini-clad backside. And the amount of budgie smugglers in it as well. <laughs> yeah, very impressive. And then you move on to Tropicana and then you again. And then you're ramping up the budgie smuggler rating by 10, yes. Uh, Wham's superb Club Tropicana was at number four. Uh, was there even some more budgie smugglers in the next video? I don't remember. I didn't think I watched that. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. did we? Paul Weller, Long Hot Summer by the Style Council, when he was on the... Mm. <laughs> Your face he was... I've just remembered what the video was like. He was in the canoe or the, it, the barge or whatever. I don't, I don't remember, but I just I got to the point where I was like, would he just put his top back on and stop stroking himself? Because I'm not enjoying this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as far as you could get from the jam, as you could possibly imagine. I, I said to you, didn't I? If you had aliens came down and said, this is the jam, and this is what the main guy did from it next, it'd be like, wow. <laughs> what, what kind of drugs was he taking in between? It just looked like the worst kind of UK picnic. That, like, it was a little bit warm, but not really that sunny. So everyone just runs to the nearest bit of green, puts down a towel, and takes their tops off. And then he was like, he was like caressing his chest. And he's, he's not, he's not exactly physically. <laughs> and it was just like, I don't, yeah, I wasn't. <laughs> it was, it was a little odd. It there was. was punting. It was all very strange. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty good song, but oh, that video, do you mean? I don't know what they were thinking. Uh, another... maybe, they, maybe that was all it was maybe it was like this is what a long hot summer is like in the UK because to day. be fair <laughs> I mean they nailed it pretty much didn't they everybody was really pasty everybody was inappropriately clothed like, the picnic looked pretty shit like, they nailed it guys <laughs> I'm not sure that's what they were going for but <laughs> good summing up good summing up uh, yeah and then I mean, this is a this is a pretty impressive top top ten really. Number two was uh, "Gold" by Spandau Ballet. Famously, didn't get a number one this record. Their uh, only number one single is "True." I walked past uh, one of the shopping centres in Leeds on my way to work the other day, and it was playing. Really? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure how comfortable I am with the fact that it's now Muzak. <laughs> Come on, it's. It's one of them songs that's going to just live forever, isn't it? I mean, they use it on that many montages for sports stuff. I mean, it is a great song as well. So there's no denying it. In terms of pop song, fantastic. And, and also, again, not really my thing, not really my wheelhouse, but uh, Give It Up by Casey and the Sunshine Band at number one. It's just one of them songs that's... Remind me how that goes. Give it up, baby, give it up. I can stop now. <laughs> Yeah, you can, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, but that is, uh, that is, as far as top 10 goes that we've done on the singles, that's that's probably as good as we've had that. Impressive, impressive stuff. So in terms of the albums, uh, I'm just going to look at the top 10 here. We've got You and Me Both by Yazoo at 10. Uh, Spandau Ballet's True, the album at 9. Punch the Clock, uh, critically acclaimed Punch the Clock by Elvis Costello and the Attractions at 8. Uh, that peaked at 3. Um... What else have we got in there? We've got Paul Young at six with no parlay. Michael Jackson was at number four uh, with Thriller 
I don't know whether I was up or down or whatever, but that is still the best selling album of all time. You see that little thing there? Yeah, but I, I mean, it, it obviously up. it got to number one, but what I meant was, because there was that many singles released off it, I don't know whether it had already been to number one and it was back on its way to number one or what. I mean, we could have a look, but I can't bother. Uh, Fantastic by Wham, which we covered on episode nine, was at three. The very best of the Beach Boys was at two. And number one, Michael Jackson with his 18 greatest hits, plus the Jackson 5. So, yeah, there are a lot of, a lot of greatest hits kind of stuff around at that time. That potentially was the year that I went to a roller disco. And then literally every like 20 minutes, half an hour, they turned all the lights down, put the um, the what's it lights on, UV. Okay. Oh, and, wow. um, and, and put Thriller on. Mm. <laughs> and then they just pay random pop. And then in, in 20 minutes time, they do it again. <laughs> and we were there for like two hours. So there was quite a lot of Thriller on, on uh, roller skates. <laughs> I mean, it's a great album. It is a great album. Movies, um, the charts in the, the, the movies, they weren't as, apparently, they weren't really proper uh, movie charts before about 1990. So um, this is off uh, a website called Salty Popcorn. So the, for the week that this was released, we've got seven, the top seven. And amazingly, I've seen all seven films. I mean, I would say I've probably <laughs> not seen many. <laughs> well, let's I see. don't know what they are yet. Let's so. see. So number seven, uh, a James Bond classic starring Roger Moore and Maud Adams, uh, Octopussy. Uh, yeah, I've seen that. What? I've seen that. What? Well, it's a James Bond film. People keep showing them to me. Boys get very upset if you haven't seen James Bond films. They showed them to me back in the day. That's a good yeah. one. I like that. Maud Adams is pretty impressive. Uh, Educating Rita was at six. Um, I haven't seen that, but I keep meaning to watch it. Yeah, I saw it, um, but I was a bit older. It was one of them where I saw it subsequently when it was on the TV. Uh, the one thing I can give you is some figures. So Octopussy took over just over eight million in the box office. Uh, Educating Rita just over two and a half. At number five, another absolute monster of a movie, uh, Return of the Jedi, the third in the Star Wars, the original Star Wars trilogy, um, which took 12.3 million at the UK box office. Very impressive. I have seen that, but I don't think I saw it at the cinema. I think I saw it on the telly. Yeah, I went to see it at the uh, Gaumont in Sheffield, I remember. Um, Flashdance was at four, starring Jennifer Beals, uh, another three million dollar movie there have you seen that i have but like not that, quite recently with you no i no. haven't seen that recently not flash dance you must well be when i'm saying recently i mean like about 10 years ago <laughs> like... <laughs> okay i can't remember watching it with you but i might have done that i've definitely seen that on on tv right, right. well i was with you but maybe right. i wasn't with you in the room <laughs> fair enough um yeah, i've seen that <laughs> Many times. Come on, you. you I have a video of that. I know. <laughs> Come on, you tell people what it is. You love this film. Tell people what it is. Monty yeah. Python's The Meaning of Life. There you go. That's, yeah. that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also taking three million in the box office. Uh, and then at number two, we had Superman 3. 
funnily enough, the third in the trilogy of Superman movies starring Christopher Reeve. I loved all those original Superman movies. Uh, this one wasn't as well received critically, but I still liked it. it was... I don't know if I've seen that. If I've seen that, you probably made me watch it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit lighter and fluffier than the other two, but I still really enjoyed it. Uh, it's got Richard Pryor in it. It was kind of a... Oh, I've seen that. See, I've seen loads of these. Uh, I know, that's why I thought. Like a goofing kind of character, uh, robber, whatever. Yeah, number one um, was the terrific War Games, which um, at the time had only taken one million. I don't know how much it took in eventually, but it went straight into number one at the box office, starring Matthew Broderick, directed by John Badham. Um, I remember, I've, I've only seen it once. And again, it, I saw it when it came on telly, so probably late 80s. But I remember being pretty kind of... It's a good film. On the edge it's of the seat kind of thing. It's a good film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know when I saw it. Again, not not at the time. Yeah. Definitely on telly, but but not... I was I was probably in my 20s yeah. when I saw it. Yeah, he was, uh, he was pretty big around that time. Matthew Broderick, um, Fred Bueller's Day Off. It's one of my all-time favourite movies. Of that film. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if that was his breakthrough film or not. But yeah, good film. So really good uh, top seven there, the box office. Um, in terms of what was going on in the UK, um, our Prime Minister was Margaret Thatcher, of whom I'm not a fan of. Uh, it was hot, apparently, in London. Temperatures reached 30 degrees. And um, if we look from the um, the 1st to the 31st of July, so the month before, it was the 200th anniversary of the previous hottest month, which saw a new record for heat with a monthly mean of 19 and a half. And now we're laughing in the face of those figures. Yes. Or not. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then the only other thing I wanted to pick out from August was that the new A prefix car registration plates are launched. Helping spur on the recovery in car sales following the slump at the start of the decade caused by the recession. Are you serious? The thing that happened on the 29th of August, you're not picking that out? That's good. That, I'm moving on to TV. That's in the TV <sighs> section. This is the news section. Don't don't panic. I'm news. coming to it. I'm coming to it. It's also in the TV <laughs> section. Don't panic. But the reason I'm picking out about the air registra- registration car is because my dad got one. We had a brand new bloody car. We never spent money on anything like that. I loved it, honestly. I felt like a rock and roll star. We went on holiday. He must have got it, like, right at the beginning of August. It was an Austin Montego. It was blue, metallic blue, saloon. So, no Um, seatbelts. We had a... A steady. Yeah, (laughs) because obviously there was more of us. Yeah. So so (laughs) The house was gold with the seats in the back. (laughs) Oh, it's got I, don't, ownership, I don't think we have it in uh, anywhere. Just... Yeah, so it was the first new car my dad had ever bought. And I remember going on holiday and thinking I was like a rock and roll star. And it's a <laughs> new were, you, car. were you like waving to people out yeah. the window like this? Out the back window, we were waving out the back window. Not like that. Like, <laughs> not like a regal, kissed in like a regal royal way. Mixed doing like a sort of gurney, gurney manic <laughs> Yeah, aren't you impressed with our new car? And the smell, I can still remember the smell of the new in, the, in the hot yeah, 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 yeah. August, in the heat of August, I know, that was lovely, with two boys in the back. It, nice. did, it didn't have the thing, though. It didn't have the plastic seats. It had, like, um, fabric. material fabric seats, yeah. 
So that again, that was a godsend. Brilliant. You didn't burn your legs in your super short shorts. <laughs> no, no, it made too short. So yes, Kate, please go on to the biggest TV news. Blockbusters. Blockbusters. Loved Blockbusters. Yeah. So um, August. Where are we? Let's get the day. Uh, August the 29th, the game show Blockbusters is launched on ITV, presented by Bob Holness, featuring sixth form students as contestants. And if you are from uh, anywhere other than the UK, you may not know this game show, but it was pretty impressive. And it was on at the right time. It was like Neighbours, the soap opera Neighbours. You came in from it was school time, when you got in from school, and it was kind of just... Just and it was on. on every day, and the questions were hard, but they weren't too hard to answer. Yeah, because you had the first letter of the answer. That was the whole premise, and you had to move across the board and make a line. And the joke of the uh, series was, I'll have a P, please, Bob, because you picked the letter that you wanted him to ask you the, the question the about. The letter. What? The letter. What did letter. I say? You said the letter. Oh, sorry. Letter. I turned American yeah, there for a second. For, for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I'm good at that. Uh, and yeah, just before, we might have mentioned this on our last 83 uh, podcast, but I'm going to mention it again. The back end of July, the hit US action adventure series, the A-Team, makes its UK debut also on ITV with a feature-length pilot. Oh, see, it was a classic year. 83, I mean, absolutely. I love the A-Team, like with my whole heart. I know, I know you do. <laughs> In my first house that I bought just when I met you, but I bought it on my own, I had, there was 18 wallpaper. I, I, I know, <laughs> I'm not telling you, I'm telling them. I know you were there. You you heard me wax lyrical about it at the time. <laughs> what sold the house, basically. There was 18 <laughs> wallpaper in one of the bedrooms. Did we cover it up before I moved? We did, didn't we? And I was heartbroken, but to sell it, I was like, I'm going to have to cover it up. I don't want it. <laughs> In fact, I, I suspect somewhere there is a photograph of that bedroom. I also had like a, an 18 picture book. And I think I have a vague feeling that somewhere there's a photograph of me in the 18 bedroom with the 18 picture book. <laughs> I'd love to find that, but I, it's probably better. In, a, in about 1984, I was playing 18 with a big old cigar made out of like curled up paper. Yeah. I think you might have mentioned that once or twice before, Kate. <laughs> just, oh, just, I mean, I'm not big into nostalgia, but that, that's my nostalgia point right there. <laughs> and on that note, we're going to leave 1983 well alone. <laughs> Top threes for this episode, we have decided to do the greatest double albums of all time. Well, that's not what you said to me. You said favourite double albums of all time. Top threes this episode. We are doing our favourite double albums of all time. I mean, obviously mine are all Mark Arnold ones, so that's a total intersection, but I'm just warning you that yours won't be. <laughs> well deciphered, Kate. Okay, what have you got on number three? Richard Mark's. Double albums is your third choice. Have you included this, by the way? Obviously. I'm guessing this is number one. Well, they're all equal. They're all equal. So we've got every. Is every Mark album ten out of ten? Basically, probably (laughs) every single one. Uh, So there was uh, this one, 
then there was oh you see now i did the first half of this on coffee and now i've started on the wine and my brain has started to disintegrate (laughs) (laughs) so it's torment and terrors uh untitled which is also mark and the mambas that's their first record which is a double album but there's only like blooming i've just looked at it now there's only 10 tracks on it. I know, but they're all amazing. And then, <laughs> uh, what was the other one? Variety. 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 <laughs> Which I used to play in the car because I had it on CD when we had a CD in the car. And then <laughs> the, we were driving along one day. Was this the um, Suzuki Swift? It probably was actually, yeah. And um, it didn't have, I don't think it did, did it have a CD or yeah. did it have? Yeah, it had, right. a, it had a CD okay. with its checkerboard top and its boy racer looks and Kate behind the wheel. <laughs> that was my best car ever. <laughs> I think it was my favourite car, that. Um, and I, I can't remember what happened, but um, basically the kids were in the back and they were just like, all we, all we, all we need is a little bit of bread and circus. <laughs> and I was just like, what? Indoctrinated, successful. Good work. So if we put that on now, are they going to start singing along? <laughs> well, then they claim they didn't like it. They were just taking the piss out of me. But however, you don't believe me. We know better. Okay, very good. Well, I went for, as you correctly predicted, non-Mark Almond <laughs> double albums. So I went for the Help album as my third choice, which was the charity record, not the Beatles, darling, not the Beatles. Well, it's all Beatles songs. <laughs> No, it's not. It's not. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Let me just get a little bit of... uh... (laughs) Bread and circus. (laughs) (laughs) Let me get a little bread and circus. That's not the tune. (laughs) Where is it? I found it earlier. Yes, the Help album, um, inspired by a quote from John Lennon who said, the best record you can make is recorded on Monday, cut on a Tuesday, pressed on a Wednesday, packaged on a Thursday, distributed on a Friday, in the shops on a Saturday. Paul McCartney, Noel Gallagher, John Lennon. You can tell he didn't have to do the work, don't you? Absolutely. It's a bit like this podcast. (laughs) Boom. Yeah. Yeah, also, you aren't allowed to edit all the funny bits out. All the funny bits? (laughs) There aren't any funny bits, are there? Mm -hmm. (laughs) There might not be by the time you've done your editing. You mean all the bits where I can't speak? That's some of those you can okay. definitely edit out. Okay. So Paul McCartney, Noel Gallagher, Paul Weller formed the supergroup, the Smoking Mojo Filters, and they released a single, which was a Beatles cover, uh, Come Together, which I have on vinyl. Uh, and it also included tracks by Radiohead, Manic Street Preachers, Portis, Massive Attack, Swade, The Charlatans, and loads of others. So, yeah, uh, within 24 hours, 20 tracks had been recorded. It was in the store five days later, selling 70,000 copies in its first day, and went on to make 1.25 million for Warchild, the charity. So <clears throat> I guess it should be number one in terms of charity, but I didn't listen to it all that much, actually. One of them that I got listened to a few times and then all the stuff kind of took over. I was never a, a huge fan of... I, I'm i not a fan of supergroups. Yeah. Well, I they want, they, they want all that. No, but I just think they can end up a bit soulless. I think... <clears throat> The, the idea of a supergroup offends me slightly. <laughs> okay, moving swiftly on. Then. <laughs> uh, 
my second choice is Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. Oh, that is an amazing album. Wow, we're in agreement oh, about that one. I love that. Someone nicked my coffee. Marcus was still marked on my card for that. <laughs> Just saying. Did you have the highlights though, or did you have the full shebang with all the storytelling? I had the full shebang did with you? all the storytelling, and I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I've only got the highlights when I've still got the vinyl of that. Uh, that's all I ever had, but. We, my mum and dad met a couple on holiday that didn't have kids, but they just got on with Bryn and Carol. They came to our wedding. Mm. Uh, yeah, they had, they'd got a door. What am I on about? They had the door later on in life. They didn't have kids at the time when we met them on holiday. So we used to go and see them uh, occasionally in the summer, and they had the album. And every time we went down there, Carol, Carol, put what are the worlds on? Um, and I was amazed that my mum told me the story of like when they first told. When it, first, when it first broadcast on the radio yeah. and people thought it was real <clears throat> yeah i thought that was amazing and it was kind of scary when well, you were it, young it again. was really like put together so well yeah. like yeah but the music in it and is also yeah, awesome incredible. awesome yeah. great album uh so what could be that okay what could be that it's got to be the beatles hasn't it if you say so Nick. <laughs> <laughs> so my number one pick is the beatles by the beatles and <clears throat> Uh, it's not their best album, but as a double album, I'm not sure there's better, aren't they? I mean, well, it's got the likes. War of the Worlds. <laughs> it's a close second. I'll give you that as a close second. But any album that's got the likes of Blackbird, mm. Dear Prudence, Martha My Dear, Julia, Helter Skelter, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. I mean, come on. It's Some right, of the greatest songs of all time. So there we are. They are my picks. Right, single of the week, Kate, what have you gone for? Uh, I didn't pick one. You didn't pick one? Well, while Kate's deciding on her random Spotify list, even though I reminded her twice today, um, I'm going to go for... you did. And you know what my thoughts were? For God's sake, this thing is so much work. (laughs) So much work, people. Uh, Yeah, my pick is a 1983... I thought I'd pick one from the, the same year. So I've gone for... The absolutely pop splendiferous of Aztec Camera and Oblivious. Love that song. Which only really reached number 47 in the charts when it was released in February 83. The re-release did a little bit better later that year, got to number 18, but criminally didn't get in the top 10. Do you know the song? No. <laughs> Not off the top of my head, but you'd probably know it if you know it. Go on then, what are you going for? Uh, letter to my 21-year-old self. Reverend uh, and the Makers. Reverend and the Makers. John McClure, no. Sheffield's. Which I, I really like the song anyway, but I was driving up to my singing lesson the other week and the co-op up in Swarcliffe has got those robots. Uh, Swarcliffe, everyone was like, Swarcliffe is not the place. Swarcliffe in Leeds <laughs> is... Uh... Doesn't have the best. It's, it's a, a council estate, an old council estate, yeah. So, me and whatever, I was just like, well, wherever, surely you're going to have yeah. the same issues. I don't think Swarcliffe's particularly like going to be worse than anywhere else. But I was driving up the road and these bloody robots were like coming down and I'm listening to this, like what I would have told my 21-year-old self. And I was like, you wouldn't have believed it. <laughs> I just wouldn't. And then I saw two boys trying to kettle the robot and I'm like, yeah. Trying what? Kettle it, like to try to stop it moving. Okay. They basically had it like boxed in next to this big white van. So was it like Kit from the eighties, and it said, "Move away, or I will destroy you." 
Like an excellent car. Oh, okay. So <laughs> couldn't hear it. I mean, they should have those built um, in, really. But yes, and, and the, the further nearer I got to the co-op, the more of these bloody robots I saw. It was just these are, freaky. These are delivery robots, by yeah. the way, just to be clear. Not not that Sparkle has been taken on by <laughs> a fleet of robots let loose by the residents. No, no, no. I think most people who go on social media will be aware of the co-op robots. Quite possibly. It's just you. Yeah, quite possibly. Okay, uh, I think that just about wraps us up. Episode 29, in the can. Not quite in the can. <laughs> yeah, still got the editing to do, but... Uh... I'm loving the can suggestion that you edit it whilst you supervise our child cooking dinner. All for that. I'm going to retire to the front room with a full bottle of wine. <laughs> Woohoo! Thank you, as ever, for listening to us. Um... If you have enjoyed the episode, please give us a follow on whatever your podcast platform of choice is. Give us a like. Uh, please interact with our stuff on social media. We're just on Facebook and Twitter. That's as much as we can manage. And the next album is going to be The Breeders' Last Splash. And that is celebrating its 30th anniversary release um, in two weeks' time. So that is going to coincide perfectly. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to do that because we're going to be on holiday. Ah, uh, we're not. We're back. Ah, uh, okay. We're back. We're back in that I'm, weekend. I'm thinking about the amount of time you usually spend researching stuff. Don't you worry. I've got this week. <laughs> do I look worried? <laughs> that is a fair point. So yeah, until the next time. Um, thank you. Appreciate any support you have given us, anyone that's commented on any of our stuff. Well done for making it through the first 10 minutes where Rick just talks about taking a breath. Yes. If you're still there after that, you have staying power. Absolutely, absolutely. Special shout out to uh, any Mark Harmon fans that have stuck with it this long. We will return with the stars we are in a future episode. So until the breeders, uh, next time, take it easy and. Um, Goodbye. <laughs>